Hey guys, it's Blake, and you're listening to an all-new episode of Blonde Hair, Black Heart. So you guys might remember a few weeks ago I told this story about this guy that my husband Matt helped get a job. He was um, the boyfriend of a friend of ours, and Matt hooked him up with a job where Matt works, and long story short, he ended up getting caught fucking another coworker and getting fired. So um, Matt had to text the girl who we are friends with and let her know that this happened. Um, And I promised that I would follow up with you guys and let you know what happened. So here we go. Uh, After he texted her, she basically revealed that she knew about it, at least like somewhat. Um, I mean, obviously he got fired over it. So she, she knew a little bit, but I guess he had really tried to downplay it and make it seem like maybe things started but they never really like went anywhere and that's just not the case at all uh so matt basically had to tell her like no it it happened and um we also found out that like this wasn't the only time nor was it the only girl that it had happened with so matt basically filled our friend in on all of this and she was obviously horrified and embarrassed and um you know we assumed that that would kind of be the end of it. Uh, But yesterday I saw that he posted a story on Instagram of the two of them out on a date night together. So I guess she's stayed with him. Um, Look, I'm like really trying not to be judgmental here, but like, my God, do I judge her? I am just so sad and disappointed for her. Uh, no one should be cheated on. There's no excuse. I'm sorry. Like it is to me, it is a total deal breaker. Um, but not only was she cheated on and humiliated, I mean, everyone that this guy worked with knew about this. Like we found out about it through like other people gossiping about it, you know? So that also is unforgivable. Like make me look like an idiot and you're dead to me. But not only those things, he also lost his job over this. Like, this guy's a fucking loser. He he became unemployed because he couldn't keep his dick in his pants. I just, I, I like, cannot fathom um, <laughs> staying with this loser. I cannot fathom having to explain to my friends and family why I was staying with him. Or, like, if they don't know, they're obviously going to ask, like, oh, why does he not work there anymore like why did he change jobs and like what do you say like do you just lie to everyone you know or are you honest do you say like oh yeah he was fucking other people at work and so they they fired him but like that's okay he has a new job now where like they don't have beds on site like uh, all of it is ridiculous and absurd um like i said trying not to judge but i'm not doing a very good job Okay, last week I did a Q&A and I uh, answered a bunch of questions for you guys, and I also told you that I really wanted my listeners to start getting more involved, whether that was sending me your questions, sending me your comments, um, DMing me, uh, whatever you guys wanted to do to be a part of this conversation. So I was super happy when I got a DM from someone who wanted to chime in on what I had talked about. So let's hear from one of my listeners, Mark. I had to leave you a voice memo as you requested about this week's episode where you did the Q&A. I agreed with almost everything you said. It's like we were sharing the same brain. Um, 
Kelly Dodd completely ruined the OC. You are absolutely right. And the people that you listed off as bad hires were dead on, especially Lydia, who's my number one worst housewife ever. But yeah, Kelly Dodd ruined the OC. You were totally right. And the biggest thing I wanted to talk about was justice for Carlton. We like to think that Kyle started out being a cool housewife and then slowly over time has sort of gotten messy. But she started out mean. Let's not forget how she treated Brandy her first season with the crutches. And then how she made Carlton out to be some sort of wicked witch of the West when really she's just wicked and there's nothing wrong. With Okay, he got cut off at the end there, but basically what he was saying is she's a Wiccan and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I agree. Uh, I said this last week. I I enjoyed Carlton. I don't know what that says about me, but I liked Spooky Ookie Carlton. Um, and actually, when watching this most recent episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, there's a scene where Kyle is packing to uh, go shoot Halloween and Portia's helping her pack. And she says to Portia, like, help me gather all of these crystals and put them in my suitcase. Like, I need good energy on this trip. And, you know, I, I feel like there's a world in which Kyle and Carlton actually could have been really good friends. You know, Kyle has said for years that she's really into spirituality and energy and that kind of like, I don't know, like, like witchcrafty stuff. So it always surprised me that she and Carlton butt heads so much, butted heads, butt heads. I don't know what the past tense of butt is, but, but it, it, it shocked me. I thought that they could have gotten along and I wish that there was some alternate universe where we saw a Kyle and Carlton friendship because I think that would have been fun. I don't know. I mean, I don't foresee it ever happening. The two women despise each other. Um, but at the very least, let's get Carlton back. Uh, let's get the two of them casting spells on one another respectively um, and see what happens. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. It's the morning after Kathy's meltdown. Rena and Kyle are getting ready to leave Aspen and head back to LA, and Kathy won't leave her room. So they just leave her there. <laughs> like, does she know how to lock up? She can barely turn on a fan by herself. Do we really expect her to be able to turn on the security system? The ladies hop on the PJ to head home, and Sutton and Erica connect, and Erica actually apologizes. It's the first time that, to me, her apology seems authentic. Erica says that she just gets mad because she feels like she's not heard. I mean, I think everyone hears her loud and clear, but okay. Sutton wonders if she can trust this apology from Erica. I think we all know the answer. Dorit asks why Kathy isn't on the plane ride home, which leads all the women into their own explanations of what happened the night before. Sutton explains that this all happened over a conga line. Kathy really wanted to boogie, but the other ladies weren't into it. Dorit and Renault were just upset that Kathy wanted to do a conga line and not a different kind of line if you catch my drift. <laughs> Crystal, however, is playing coy, saying that she didn't see anything and she can't imagine Kathy raging. Diana, Kyle, and Dorit all say that they saw Kathy raging in the club, getting in Kyle's face. And Rena apparently took Kathy out of there, got into a sprinter van, and got her back to the house. At this point, 
Kathy lost it, going off about everyone from Bravo to Kyle to Lucy Lucy Apple Juicy, probably. According to Rinna, Kathy said that she would destroy Kyle and her family if it's the last thing she ever does. Dun dun dun! Okay, TBH, that sounds like a line from a soap opera script to me. Um, I think everything is a little over-dramatized, dramatized, dramatized, dramata, dramata. It's really dramatic. Uh, <laughs> I think everything in, in Rinna's mind is just like really dramatic. Um, not to say that Kathy didn't flip out, but Here's my thing. How many housewives have we seen flip out? Like breaking glasses, uh, throwing wine in each other's faces, flipping tables. I can't imagine Kathy did or said anything that is beyond the level of the housewives that we know and love. Rinna says that she thinks Kathy's mad because Kyle is more famous and successful than she has ever been. She says, I think it's been very hard for Kathy to have it all and then for her sister to have more. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I, we all get a little jealous of our siblings, right? Kyle's getting ready to head off to shoot Halloween Ends, and she's relieved to be spending some time with Michael Myers instead of the other ladies. Honestly, though, Michael's backstory is not all that dissimilar from Kyle's. He decided to murder his older sister, after all, and that's obviously a thought that's crossed Kyle's mind a time or two. Dorit and Erica go make some chocolate in an attempt to have their Lucy and Ethel moment. I actually do think this duo would be very entertaining in different circumstances. Like, I love Dorit because she's such a ridiculous caricature of a human being, and I want to like Erica for that exact same reason, but you just can't forget about the widows and orphans and all that other stuff, you know? Anyways, my biggest takeaway from all of this is that chocolate is a luxury. Erica tells Dorit that she's upset that Garcelle didn't let her know what was discussed on the reel ahead of time. And Dorit tells Erica that she's upset with Kyle for putting her in the middle and telling her that if she supports Erica, she's siding with the bad guys. Dorit, Jagger told you years ago that Erica was a bad guy. This is not new information. Erica hints to Dorit about Kathy's behavior and how she thinks it's unfair for her to undergo scrutiny from the group if Kathy isn't going to have to also. Erica says, if you think I'm going to be the whipping boy for this group, you've got another thing coming. And then she takes a swig of her champagne while squinting her cold, shimmerless eyes. Like I said, and like Jagger said, bad guy. The ladies get ready for Crystal's roaring 20s party, and we get to meet Erica's new glam squad, who are all slamming tequila shots before finishing her look. Actually, given how she ends up looking at the party, it's not surprising they were all wasted. Rena arrives at Crystal's, and she says she's putting on a brave face because she has PTSD from Kathy's rampage. Once again, the soap opera actress is on full display. Honestly, I don't think Rena has ever acted harder than she does in this episode. When she pulls Crystal aside to let her know she's leaving, it's like a masterclass in overacting. It's pure camp. She literally calls Kathy the devil. I mean. <laughs> but before that happens, Kathy arrives, and she's cool as a cucumber. All she cares about is lip liner and probably starting a conga line. Rinna says it's so fucking weird that Kathy showed up dressed to the nines as if nothing ever happened. But isn't that kind of how this works? You guys fight, and then two or three nights later, you have to attend a costume party together. Like, I've seen this story before. But Rinna just watches Kathy from across the party, and she is seething. She has to leave. This woman is so nuts, she's spent all season long screaming at Sutton and then acting like nothing ever happened, but god forbid Kathy keep her composure at a party after losing her cool a few nights earlier. Like, what a fucking psycho. 
Dorit briefly talks to Garcelle about talking about Erica on the reel, and she says that she thinks Garcelle throws some bombs and disguises them as being concerned. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree that Garcelle doesn't love Erica, and her comments aren't necessarily coming from a place of love, but I think you can be concerned about something or someone that you don't care about, you know? Concern can mean fear. It doesn't always mean, I'm concerned for their well-being because I love them. I mean, she could be saying, I'm concerned that Erica's gonna lose her shit again and I'll be in the crosshairs. I mean, I don't know or care about Erica, and frankly, I'm concerned. Erica later reveals to Dorit what went down with Kathy's meltdown, and essentially reveals that the truth needs to come out. Dorit says that she's concerned because Kyle's the only one who will get hurt in all of this, and Erica basically just shrugs. Okay, this is something I just don't get about the Fox Force 5. Like, I don't understand how they can go after Kyle's sisters so willingly and, frankly, so eagerly. Like, if she's their best friend, how can they do that? At least Dorit pauses and considers how this will affect them, but not Rinna or Erica. And what's even weirder is how Kyle remains so close with them. Like, it's one thing to brush past the terrible things they've said about her sisters. Like, I don't understand it, but it's one thing. It's another thing for her to ignore their disregard for her. Like, how can she think that they're her friend when they're trying to fuck with her relationships with her family? As much as Kyle can annoy me, I, I think she's really been stuck between a rock and a hard place, being on a show with her friends and her sisters. Like, I don't think anyone really has Kyle's back at this point. Except, I don't know, maybe Jamie Lee Curtis? Okay, so a few days ago, I had the pleasure of sitting down with an up-and-coming pop singer-songwriter named Chapel Roan, and uh, she is so talented, you guys. I am truly obsessed with her music. I'm not just saying that. Uh, so stick around for that. But first, here is a quick word from our sponsors. One of the best things about growing up in Arizona is that there's incredible Mexican food on every street corner. And you know what goes best with good Mexican food? Traditional Mexican horchata. Don't know what horchata is? It's creamy, delicious rice milk flavored with cinnamon, vanilla, and sugar. Okay, you thirsty now? Me too. Luckily, even if you're far from the southern border, you can get your horchata fix every day with cinnamon. Cinnamon is a brand created by my good friend Tyler, who is even more obsessed with horchata and all things cinnamon than I am. He's developed all natural skincare products and more, crafted in California with ethically sourced ingredients and infused with real cinnamon. Have you heard of the antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral, or antioxidant properties of cinnamon when applied to the skin? Or how about how it helps treat acne? What about how cinnamon promotes blood flow, helping with skin elasticity by bringing blood flow to the surface of the skin and helping to moisturize skin with all of that added circulation? Some of my personal favorite products from Sinmin are their signature lip balm that gives your lips a sweet tingle and a subtle natural plum, their all-natural deodorant developed for sensitive skin, and the Coco Chata body beverage that leaves your body hydrated and smelling like heaven. They even have candles and air fresheners to keep your entire home, car, or office smelling like your favorite dessert. With Sinmin, you'll enjoy all the benefits Cinnamon has to offer your skin and your senses. Visit Sinmin.com, that's S-I-N-M-I-N.com, and use code Blake at checkout for 15% off your total order today and receive free shipping on all orders over $50. That's code Blake for 15% off your order at Sinmin.com. I may have a black heart, but I can be sweet sometimes, and Sinmin definitely helps. Okay, guys, I am so excited because I am here with today's very special guest, pop singer-songwriter Chapel Roan. Hi, Chapel. Hi. It's such a pleasure to meet you. 
You too. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for doing this. So I actually discovered your music uh, because of my husband. He came home one day and he was like, babe, I found our new song. And he put on Pink Pony Club and we danced around the kitchen and the rest is history. And I, I literally have not been able to stop listening to you since then. So like for the past three months, you're pretty much all I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet. Oh, I- it's the truth. It's the truth. And if any of my listeners aren't familiar with your music, uh, first of all, you're missing out. Second of all, we're going to talk about, you know, a lot of your songs. So my listeners take notes, write these down. You're going to want to add them to your playlist after the episode. Uh, but before we get into the specific songs, I really wanted to talk to you about how you got your start and, um, you know, where you're from and how you started writing music. Yes, I grew up in Springfield, Missouri. It's a small town in southern southwest Missouri. Um, I actually grew up in Willard, which is even smaller than that. But um, I started. You know, seeing- it's you know, it's a small town when you have to choose another small town to like name. Yeah, to get <laughs> to give some reference. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I like started singing in school talent shows and stuff, and then I started like in middle school, and then I started writing when I was about to be a sophomore in high school and they were very long ballads longing about crushes about being in love yeah there were a lot of emotions at that age yes I was very very up and down granted I was bipolar I was unmedicated and bipolar so it was very very difficult for me in my teenage years just because of obviously hormones themselves everyone everyone has a difficult time in their teenage years but mine was very emotionally difficult to try to balance just because I simply didn't know I was bipolar and yeah um but that contributed a lot to my writing and I became like better and better at writing and I went to some songwriting camps and then a song that I wrote that's actually out right now is called Die Young it's been out for years but that is the song that got some label recognition and I got signed off of that song when I I was like I had just turned 17 and I was wow. in high school and wow. I had to graduate early to do this so I graduated as a junior Wow. And I was signed to Atlantic for five years. That's awesome. So we'll get into the Atlantic records of it all. Um, I want to go back. You, you know, you mentioned that you are now diagnosed bipolar. Um, mm-hmm. When you were a kid and you were, you know, going through uh, these emotions, were you recognizing at that time that you were writing as sort of like a, a coping me- mechanism or as therapy? Or, or do you think that your writing was actually the opposite and more being informed by your emotions, if that makes sense. Um, I felt it was like an outlet. Okay. Um, I felt like it was something that I knew since I started singing, like everyone thought everyone I met was like, she's a great singer. And so kind of like writing a song made it, it was a sure way to make me feel like I was doing something right because I was getting positive feedback from 
my music and singing. And from the other parts of my life, I was not getting positive feedback. I was very difficult at home. I was really wrapped up in a horrible high school relationship. I was there. I was sneaking out of church. Like I was just, I was just everything that I felt like wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be. And looking back, it's like, oh, I get why I was like that. But the songwriting and like, I was writing a lot and singing a lot because that was, I knew that was a good part of myself. So maybe it wasn't, it wasn't like that positive of a thing even. Like, I was just like, maybe if I write good songs and sing them, like my parents will think I'm a good kid. But, yeah. Well, it's so interesting too. And I think this is something that a lot of artists um, experience and probably not even uh, cognizantly, but it's funny, you know, you're writing about your life experiences and you're saying that those real life experiences didn't garner a positive feedback, but your songs about those experiences did. And isn't that so funny how you can live this life and it gets you into trouble. But then as soon as you go tell the stories about that life, people are like, oh my God, that's amazing. Tell me more, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. (laughs) I think that's part of the uh, double-edged sword of being a creator, you know, is that you do have to literally cut yourself open and and bleed out for people. And a lot of it is really painful. And then their, uh, their experience of, of your experience is so different. It's whatever they take from it, you know, and it's out of your control. Right. Yeah. So tell me about being signed to Atlantic Records. You were a teenager. Um, obviously, that must have been really exciting. But did you feel fully prepared to be a signed recording artist at 17? No, no. One's <laughs> I, yeah, I'm I was going to say, I don't think anyone is. Even if, No one's prepared at all. If Even if you're like 25, if you've right. never been in this industry, no one's prepared to be a signed artist. Like, they're so so many things that you have to know about yeah and I just I mean I didn't come from any type of entertainment creative background my parents my dad is retired from the navy and my mom's a veterinarian and my dad works like the business side of the vet hospital so it's just like there's nothing he's not like singing to the dogs you know no 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 it's just like we had no knowledge of that like world and I think that they knew that yeah the the label knew that yeah I think yeah it was very hard and difficult to learn the ropes as being so young because I felt like I didn't have a lot of help um because I didn't have friends to lean on that were my age got it Um, and I didn't even know how to make friendships here in LA yeah, because um, I couldn't drive. I couldn't go meet people at bars. Like totally, and it's so important, you know, to have that support system around you, whether it's friends, whether it's family, whether it's you know even uh, professionals that truly have your back. But like you said, that know the industry, know the ins and outs, and are really going to look out for you. Um, so when you signed that deal, is that when you then moved to Los Angeles? No, um, I was flying back and forth for three years wow. um, I officially moved I, I would stay here for a couple months or a month here and there and then I would move back or I officially moved here in 2018 okay so 
Yeah, I've been here for four years. Okay, got it. So tell me how your life changed when you moved to Los Angeles. Everything became a lot more accessible and, and I was doing writing sessions a lot more and um, it was, it was just, it, the job became real, but also like I, I didn't have enough money for it to be my full-time job. So I was working as a nanny and then I was working um, as a barista. Then I was working as a, I worked at a donut shop. Wow. Um, it's crazy because I feel like so many people think like, oh, once you get signed, once you have a deal, it's just like all these doors open and you're just a star. And it's crazy that you literally can be in LA and you go get a cup of coffee and your barista is a signed artist, you know? Being signed doesn't really mean much if you, it depends on how your deal looks, honestly. Like it's it's very business oriented. It's not like, you know, yeah. it's just not fun. Yeah. And a lot of artists now feel like being signed is almost very restrictive or prohibitive. Yeah. It depends on how you navigate that as an artist and what your vision is. Yeah. And people who have very strong visions get along better sometimes if they going into a deal because they can be like, I want this and this and this because I know what I want. Yeah. For me, being 17, I didn't know what I wanted. So a lot of times artists will tell what they, they're being told what they are supposed to want. So yeah, that was difficult, but I got dropped by them in 2020 after okay. five years. Yeah. And so what was that experience like? What was being dropped by a major label like? I can't imagine it was fun. It was better than being signed. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, surprisingly, like the more artists you talk to, you realize like, oh, artists have been through multiple deals. Like yeah. a lot of artists get dropped. Um, and it was a big relief because at that time, it just, we didn't have money for my project. I wasn't going to get money for my project. We were in limbo. It was just really frustrating. And I got dropped and it was the best thing that could have happened for my career. Wow. Well, That's congratulations then. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, since then, following your career trajectory, it seems like since you um, have moved forward as an independent artist, you've been able to put out release after release. So you're you're definitely working a lot. Yes. Yeah, so last year, so since to all of 2021 was writing, then all of 2022 has been releasing. And then all of 2023 is probably going to be touring and then we'll, well start over again. Well, that's, that's the fun part too. I, I have to imagine, especially for someone like you. I mean, if you've seen any of your videos, especially like the pink pony club video, I, I have to imagine that you have a blast on stage. Yes. My shows are very fun, very yeah. party, super high energy, very dancey. Yeah. I can only imagine. I'm going to make it out to one of your shows soon, I promise. Um, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about how your writing style has changed. Uh, you mentioned that when you got signed, you weren't really sure what you wanted your your project to look like, what you wanted your quote-unquote persona to be, your sound to be. Um, and when you go back and listen to your earlier works, um, like you had a much more... Uh, 
Yeah, like ballady. It was definitely a little more dramatic, moody um, kind of style. Whereas now your stuff, like you said, it's it's pure pop fun. It's dance music. It's campy. It's cheeky. So there's a very a very clear kind of shift in the tone. Uh, what do you credit that shift to? Being exposed to queer culture. Okay, so was move maybe moving to LA a big part of that? Being in LA, but also like being exposed to queer friends, like yeah. first time, and like really finding queerness in myself. Um, that's what changed a lot of it. That was the beginning of the change, and yeah. I would say moving to LA definitely did like open my eyes to a lot of new experiences that I didn't, I'd never seen before. So that was that was a big part. Um, yeah, and freedom away from Missouri, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I have to imagine that it's a, a quite a culture shock going from a small town in Missouri to not just any town in California, but Los Angeles of all places. Yes. Yeah. So obviously that uh, inspired Pink Pony Club, which I've talked about already like 25 times in the 15 minutes we've been talking, but I'm obsessed with this song. So tell me a little bit about this song. What inspired it? Uh, what made you, you know, feel like you had to write a song about like a, it's like a burlesque club? <laughs> yeah. Um, I went to my first gay bar that I'd ever been to and they had go-go dancers and I was just like enamored with the go-go dancers. And I really wanted to be one. I want, like, I really wanted to dance at the club. And it was just, it felt so, it was so spiritual to walk in because I'd never been around that many queer people, openly queer people and celebratory of their queerness and it was just very eye-opening and it hit me a lot. Like it hit me hard. And I was like, I have to, I have to work here. I have to be a dancer. And I just chickened out and <laughs> instead wrote a song about being one. And I tried to capture what I felt that night in Pink Pony Club and a lot more. It's deeper than just like being at a club and dancing, obviously. It's like, yeah. I also, you know, in the song, I talk about being like a thousand miles away from home. And that's true. And my mom being upset at me, I thought she would be really upset at me just for releasing Pink Pony Club. Like, I, I just, it was like breaking out of the shell of what I thought I was always going to be and then breaking in to like, this new world and it was so it felt so right and and like the real me yeah and not even necessarily that you broke into it but that it was it was calling to you i mean you you mentioned in the song that you can hear you know santa monica boulevard calling to you when you're all the way back home and so you you clearly felt like you were meant to be where you were and that resonates in the song yes and i feel like that is a universal feeling for queer people. And it's not necessarily about stepping into a gay bar for the first time, but stepping into a queer space for the first time. You really feel that and you feel all of those emotions like, oh my God, I'm 
a thousand miles from home, even if not literally mentally, you know, and am I, am I going to piss people off for being here and for being myself? But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because this is what I was meant to do. And this is where I was meant to be. And this is who I was meant to be. And I'm going to shake my ass now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's literally my favorite fucking song. So like I said, listeners, Pink Pony Club, add it to your Spotify playlist right now. Um, So I have to ask you, what is like the wildest night you've had out in West Hollywood? I don't go to West Hollywood anymore. (laughs) I I'm because I've aged out of West Hollywood myself because it's it's just too it's so crazy it's like either you have to be like blackout all like crossfaded level 10 or because that's the level everyone's on yeah it's like yeah. not fun if you're not on that level if you're on that level it's fun but yeah um had many multiple like wild nights and a lot of times someone gets their phone stolen so I'm like you know what maybe we're just I mean, it's, I don't know. Every single one is so crazy because you just, there's so many bars. It's an entire street of bars and you can hop, bar hop every, some, some gay bars are like, like for different, I don't know. Um, like some bars are like for older gays, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, And I ended up there. I was like, why is everyone old here? This is weird. <laughs> I was like, I need to leave. I need to leave. I think it was called yeah. Um, yes, yes. Mother load. Yeah. Like, there's mother load. I mean, there's so many of them. There's mother load. Like there, then there's Rocco's, um, which Lance Bass from NSYNC owns Rocco's, which I just found out. I didn't know that. Pretty cool. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's literally something for everyone. Yeah. And again, I, I think it speaks to that that notion of like having a safe space. And so they're like, okay, guys, just come to West Hollywood and like, you'll find something here. Like just make it here and you'll be okay. Yeah. Except not for, there's not like lesbian clubs here, which is, which is. uh, Yes. Yes. No, it is very, very um, hyper like male. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, Which sucks. But I mean, it is a queer space and, and it's important to have that. Yeah, absolutely. So to answer my own question, my craziest night in West Hollywood, um, I I went out to visit some friends in March and we went out in WeHo and we were bopping around all of the different clubs. And then at 4 a.m. we bopped over to Club IHOP and me and one of my friends ended up like screaming at each other in the middle of this IHOP and like both storming out. Yeah, so... No. We ho, we ho. It is. It is what that's, it is. that's so classic. Though. I know it's so classic. West Hollywood, four a.m. at a on an IHOP, and like two gay guys screaming at each other. Yeah, that's very welcome to West Hollywood. Classic, Literally. classic. I'm gonna write a song called like the Pink IHOP Club or something. <laughs> oh, okay. So your follow up to Pink Pony Club is actually my favorite Chapel Rome song, "Naked in Manhattan." Oh my God, this song, like ever. So, um, okay. This is probably not suitable for work, but I, every time I take a shower, I put this song on and I like dance in front of the mirror, ass naked, feeling myself so hard. Like the touch me, touch me, touch. Like I, I go off. This song is it. It's so, meant for that. It is so good. It, so obviously it is, 
It is about a girl on girl tryst, um, which happens in Manhattan, obviously. Tell me who inspired this song? You don't uh, have to name names, but- No, okay. I actually wrote it about no one because I just wanted a girl like that. Oh, wow. Okay. And and then, I mean, it was inspired by like this girl crush I had, but she was French and she wasn't, she wasn't from Manhattan. I just, I, I just wanted like, there were certain things in the song that were like about her, but there was no girl in Manhattan. Okay. Like, I've never, yeah, that's not unfortunate unfortunately not happened in Manhattan but I maybe other places <laughs> maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe LA but um yeah I was just inspired by like the idea of a queer relationship in New York because New York is such a magical place and I just sprinkled little things that I would have loved to do with a girl like that I was in a relationship with like watch Mean Girls and yeah and, do each other's hair and makeup and right lumber party vibes yeah like, french kiss sit and crisscross yeah just like it was just it was just my i my dream girl relationship like girl yeah. or so but so um yeah and it was inspired by the city and just how magical it is yeah well you definitely can feel the um electricity of manhattan in the song and the way that it builds and then i just like i was singing before the chorus and when it kind of drops out and has that touch me touch me touch me part it actually like um, when i first listened to it that part reminded me of rocky horror picture show oh, if, yeah. if you know what i'm talking about the touch a touch a touch me so like that's kind of where i first went um but i i thought it it made a lot of sense because a lot of your songs, even the the newer ones, which are much more pop centric and really fun, they still have this element of drama and like a theatrical nature about them. And so I thought like, oh, it almost has this like theater reference in there a bit. Um, were, were you a theater kid at all growing up? Because I hear that so much in your voice. Like it's very, like there are moments where I'm like, oh my God, she could sing opera or something. Oh, <laughs> uh, thanks. I was in, in um, theater in middle school. That was it. Okay. Yeah, there's so much drama in your voice. And I think that's why your songs kind of uh, stand out amongst the rest. It's not just like a generic pop song with like a bland vocal, like, you know, the, the first bit of Pink Pony Club where it's really somber and soft and you're, you know, first singing about being drawn to to LA, like your vocals in that are, are so captivating. And that's not something you hear a lot in like a standard pop, like bop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really cool. Thanks. Yeah. So in, uh, one of your more recent uh, music videos for a song called My Kink is Karma, which is another great one. You uh, are dressed up as like this sexy kind of Satan character, which also could could also be referential to Rocky Horror Picture Show. So maybe even if you weren't intending it, I think it like was in there somewhere. <laughs> but uh, so I know that you said that you were um, very much inspired by him from the Powerpuff Girls when making this video. Um, what other fictional characters have kind of inspired you or your works? Bratz dolls. <laughs> yes. Um, such a good, that's such a good answer. By the way, do you follow the Bratz Instagram page? I think I do. Yeah, they sent me the gay 
the gay girl. Oh they have God. like this lesbian brass and like they're in the closet. I love it. Their Instagram page is fire. And like, I'm not even embarrassed that I'm a 33 year old man like following brats online. Brats are amazing. Like they shifted culture. Um, truly, truly created the like millennial girl that we know and love today. Yeah. Like literally millennial. <laughs> I don't know. If, yeah. They, it's style. It's, it's like, I like to look like a brat still. Yes. 100%. Wouldn't yeah. we all? I know. <laughs> um, Bratz, I use a lot of Lisa Frank inspiration. So um, sidebar, Lisa Frank is actually from my hometown. And when I was growing up, all of the girls in my class were like Lisa Frank models because she lived like five minutes from us. That's so awesome. Yeah. I love Lisa Frank. Um, um yeah, I would say those. I mean, just Harp of Girls and and um just a lot of like Britney, older older like early Britney and yeah. and just fun things that I loved when I was little is what I use now to design my project. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a, a... Britney Stan for life. I actually have her tattooed on my arm. Um, I'm obsessed with Britney. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, all of the things that you named, they're like bright neon glitter, like, you know, Lisa Frank, Bratz dolls, Powerpuff Girls. It's like such a vibe. <laughs> I love all of those things. Um, so your most recent single, I feel like it definitely feeds into that, but but especially the like girl power vibe, you know, but like Powerpuff Girls, like fierce feminine energy. You've even got like some some like biker imagery going on. The song is called Feminine Omenon. Tell me, Chapel, what the hell is a feminine omenon? <laughs> um a phenomenon if you can't tell it's the word feminine and phenomenon mixed together uh. um it was it's it's a i feel like it's like feminine power um like the whole song is just kind of about how i'm in this lackluster relationship with this guy and it's something I always thought I wanted and I got it. And then I like look around me and I'm like, oh gosh, do I really want this? And it's the the lyrics aren't super direct, but it's like, get it hot like Papa John, make a girl, make a bitch go on and on. It's a feminine omnon, whatever. Like, like basically being like, men can't do what women can do for women. Like- Find the G spot? Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> like you know, like they literally- like no one knows how to touch a girl than a better than a girl. Yeah, one hundred percent. And so that's kind of what it was about, and just kind of creating this like semi true story of around that of like just really inadequate male relationships. Yeah. So yeah. I I dated women for a long time, mm -hmm. and I heard from multiple girls that I could get it hot like papa john but i i attest that to the fact that like none of it was for me and i was so like i i didn't want anything so i wanted to focus all on the girl and like keep her as distracted as possible so i would make sure that she was like 
so like getting so hot like Papa John that like I wouldn't have to later on. But that's the problem with with straight men is that all they care about is themselves. They don't care if she's getting hot. They're just thinking about like, okay, when's it my turn? When's it my turn? When's it my turn? You know? Yeah. That's what I've experienced in my relationships and, and like every relationship I've been in. So yeah. it's, it's just like a, a song of frustration and like kind of like this like roaring anger and it's um dirt bike themed and in like we don't have a video but hopefully we can make a video um i i ride dirt bikes oh cool i really i was like oh there's nothing cooler than like girls on bikes so i uh had like my friend help me create the outfit of modifying dirt bike gear into like assless traps and a micro crop jacket and like bedazzled everything put patches on everything bedazzled the boots the helmet the gloves like it's all very much um color coordinated with the bike the bike is bedazzled with like and it's neon pink black like and neon green so it's just everything was just very much like Bur- it, it, and it also had like a burlesque um, element to it with like the assless chaps and like the I had like a a dangly like glittery bra that had tassels on it like so it's all very much connected to the other singles too yeah absolutely everything really really flows cohesively and the whole image of it you in like a a not sexualized but like a sexy feminine version of like a a traditionally masculine look um I, i mean not only does it kind of go along with the themes of all of these songs but especially feminine omenon it's like look i like i can i can dress up like a dude and do it better than you can you know and with that said i i bet you that bike you were sitting on turn the engine on it probably feels better than a guy anyways well, <laughs> I I just thought that it would be a really fun uh, concept, and we went to like Missouri to shoot it all. Oh, cool! In my parents' backyard. So it was how fire. fun! Oh, it's all coming full circle. I love that. I love that. So you've recently uh, been fortunate enough to open for major artists like Ben Platt, Fletcher, and Olivia Rodrigo. What's it been like being recognized by these artists who want you to join their shows and and you get to go play for these new audiences? Oh, it's very affirming. Like I'm it's like, oh yeah, I am good enough to open. I'm good enough to be part of someone else's vision, like someone I respect. And it feels I feel really honored and I adore I'm I haven't met Fletcher's Crab yet, but I can already tell it's gonna be good. <laughs> it's yeah. all gay girls, so Yes. Um, yeah, Olivia's show was a big milestone in my career and just did Ben Platt last weekend and it was really fun. So, um, yeah, it's it's just so fun. I, have, I love performing. It's my favorite part. But. Yeah, it's amazing. So amazing. Well, for my listeners, make sure that you follow along so you can see where Chapel is performing and go catch her live. Chapel, can you tease what you've got coming up next for everyone? Yeah, of course. So we have, uh, I'm just now starting to tease online on TikTok and Instagram, uh, this new single called Casual, which hasn't been, um, I haven't even released the single cover for yet. So you're the first to know, but 
coming out in October and it's in the same vein as subject matter of all these songs so it's really fun it's got a little bit of a grittier vibe um a little looser not as like tight pop um I'm very very excited for it. it's very fun to perform so and I'll come out right before the Fletcher tour so I will get to play at all of her tour so amazing I'm also only on the second half of Fletcher tours so Verite is opening the first half but so I'm doing mostly west coast but awesome. I'm so excited to perform it perfect do you know are you guys coming out through Arizona at all I don't think I'm I don't think we're hitting Phoenix okay if not I'll come see you in California I'll drive out we have LA we have two nights at the Palladium in Los Angeles okay it, it'll be worth it I'll be there yay Chapel, this was so great. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. And really quickly, can you tell my listeners where they can find you on social media? Yes. So everything is under at Chapel Roan. I'm very active on Instagram and I'm getting to be a little bit more active on TikTok now that I've had a break. So um, I go live all the time, join my lives. Um, Yeah, we po- I post all the time. DM me. I will really try to respond. I really try to respond. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Bye. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already, go follow me on social media at blondehairblackheart. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And go give me a five-star rating or review. Until next time, bye.